Well, good morning. Let's all stand up together. Let's say this. This is who we are. This is what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, welcome, everyone. Welcome our campuses, guys in Stevens Point and Appleton, those of you joining us online. Good to have all of you with us today. Pastor Mark this morning is in Australia. He is there doing some Laugh Your Way conferences and preaching at some churches, so have him in your prayers as he's out traveling. Uh, we've been in a series the past several weeks called Losers of the Bible. It's not meant to bring any disrespect to any of these guys, but what all of them, where they did end up at some point in their life is what we would call loser status. Some of it was by their own doings, some of it was outside forces that they had nothing to do with, and they got into a place where they were really struggling in life. And they're great stories because they're stories that you and I can relate to, because there's moments in our lives where things don't go the way they should, and we might categorize our lives to be in the loser status at some point. And this morning, in honor of Shark Week, I I thought we would talk about Jonah. You guys familiar with Jonah? He gets swallowed by a big fish. Actually, the way I see it, I think, you guys watch Sharknado? No? No Sharknado watchers? Sharknado, if you're not familiar, is where a shark and a tornado come together into one enormous super storm and can destroy an entire city, the likes of LA or New York. Something you don't want to be a part of is a Sharknado. If two F2s come together and form an F5, it's over. And I think that's what happened to Joan. I think the, I think the Sharknado got him, don't you? <laughs> I think it did. Well, a little bit about Jonah. Um, He's been referred to as the reluctant prophet. The reason why he's called the reluctant prophet is because he was reluctant to listen to God. He was reluctant to listen to what God was asking him to do. And the story of Jonah, basically 500 feet up, goes like this. And then we'll go through it in some detail after that. Basically, God speaks to Jonah. Jonah doesn't listen to God. Jonah gets on a boat. A storm comes. The crew is trying to figure out who is responsible for the storm. Over a game of dice, they decide that Jonah's the guy that's responsible. They throw Jonah overboard. Jonah gets swallowed by a really big fish. I think it was Megalodon. I was just back in the video room. They think it was Whale Shark. He's a bigger shark. He could have done it. So the fish gets sick. Uh, Jonah prays in the belly of the fish. The fish gets sick, vomits Jonah out onto dry land. Jonah then goes to Nineveh, and the Ninevites are overwhelmingly and fantastically responsive to the message that Jonah brings. And the story ends with Jonah being so mad and depressed and angry at God that he wants to kill himself because of a gourd. True story. This giant gourd grows up over Jonah's head, and he gets really ticked off at the gourd. So... 
That's the story of Jonah. It's a crazy story. We'll read it here now in some detail. In Jonah chapter 1, it says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. God said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because wickedness has come up before me. And then we get the response from Jonah to what God is asking him to do. In verse 3, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. We're talking about Jonah this morning. Can anyone relate automatically running away from God? Has God ever asked you to do something and you ran away from God? We can all resonate a little bit with Jonah already because he's not listening to what God is asking him to do. So he heads for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here's a guy. He's a prophet. Basically, it's the modern-day equivalent would be a pastor, a guy who's preaching. So he has dedicated his life and his career. He's dedicated everything to serving God. And here's a guy that's done this, and yet he's not listening to what God's asking him to do. So we see here in the book of Jonah, we have a story captured of a guy who runs away from God. So what I want to ask you to do this morning is identify yourself in this story. Maybe you're here today and you've got a little bit of Jonah in you. In fact, I think all of us got a little bit of Jonah in us. Where is God speaking to you and where are you running away from him? Now, a little background about why Jonah would not listen to God. A little background on Jonah and Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. So this is the Syrian empire. This is the most, some of the most feared people in the ancient world. You can read about it in history books. The Assyrians were so violent. They were so brutal. You've seen movies like this in the ancient world where they go in and they just destroy a village. Think like Braveheart, things like that. They go in and they are so violent violent that it was recorded that on occasion an entire village would take their own lives rather than to be put at the hand of the Assyrians. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. They would kill all kinds of the men. They would kill a ton of people. Then they would do horrible things with the women and children. And then the surviving guys, they would take them as prisoners of war. They would skin them alive, bury them up to their necks in the sands. They would take out their tongues and drive a stake into the ground to give them a slow, painful, torturous death. These guys were feared. To make matters worse, they'd make them listen to the eagles over and over and over again. <laughs> hate the eagles. I mean, if you love the eagles, I apologize, but that'd be a way to kill me a slow, painful death was make me listen to the eagles. So they're doing that. It's bad. They don't like these guys. These are the infidels. These are the bad guys. And God asks Jonah to go to them. So imagine the ancient Israelites hearing this story being told. If they were being told the story of Jonah, how many of you think that maybe they would have sided with Jonah? He's the hero of the story. They would have thought, man, no way God's asking them to do that. Surely God's really asking them to like go smite the Ninevites. Or maybe Jonah just had a bad dream and God's not actually asking him to do this. No way that's what's going on. How many at our campuses would be willing to go into a territory like that? I mean, it's just something you would say, no way, God, I can't do it. You would have all the reasons in the world why it's not possible. And Jonah's got all the reasons. And maybe you're here this morning and you've got all the reasons in the world why you can't do what God is asking you to do. Maybe God's asking you to forgive somebody this morning. Maybe someone is 
has hurt you. Maybe someone has hurt someone you loved and you're saying, that person deserves all the unforgiveness I'm giving to them. There's no way I can forgive that person. I've got all the reasons why I can't. Or maybe you're dating that guy and he's just so good looking or you're dating that girl and she's so good looking and you got these feelings and you think you just got to go with those feelings and you got to get a little rowdy. So you start doing that and you start not listening to God even though you know it's saved for marriage and you start doing a bunch of things you know you're not supposed to be doing and you got all the reasons in the world why it's okay for you to be doing what you're doing. There's a little bit of Jonah inside of all of us. So the first thing this morning that I want to say is that God is speaking to you. Like God spoke to Jonah, and like Jonah said, I don't want anything to do with those people. I'm not going to those people. God is speaking to us today, and God oftentimes will ask you to do something you don't want to do. God speaks. He speaks through life circumstances. He speaks through the Bible. He'll speak through the preached word. God will speak through the Holy Spirit into your life, and when he does, maybe he's going to ask you to do something that you think you got a bunch of good reasons why you don't want to do that. God will speak to us about how we handle money, how we handle our relationships, how we handle sex, how we handle forgiveness. God speaks to us, and sometimes we don't want to do what he's asking. So we've got a choice. Are you going to listen, or are you going to say no? And if you say no, I promise you, there's always a boat available going in the total opposite direction. You can always find a boat going in the wrong way, and that's what Jonah does. He gets on the boat going for Tarshish. It's like 2,500 miles in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. He gets on the boat. Some say it would have been a whole year's journey to get to where he was going. That's a whole lot of running from God. Maybe you're here today, and you've been running from God. Maybe you've been running from God for a while. Maybe you're not running, making conscious decisions to say no to God. Maybe you're just kind of drifting here this morning. Uh, just recently, we went out on a boat with uh, my kids, and we went and we uh, went out to Longtail. It's this area out in the uh, Bay of Green Bay, and you can park your boat there, and the kids can get in the water and play. So we take Charlie, he's my three-year-old, and we put him in a raft, a, a floaty thing, and we put him in the water, and Charlie wanted to be free. He didn't want to be connected by a rope to the boat or to an adult. He wanted to be free. So I thought, you know, okay, maybe just a couple minutes and he'll be okay. So we put him in the raft. Next thing you know, we turn around and Charlie is a half a mile away from the boat, right? How many think it's a good idea for a three-year-old to be a half mile away from a boat? Bad idea. So I had to jump in the water, swim all the way to Charlie, bring him back to the boat, and then we had to tether him to the boat with a rope. Some of you are just drifting because you've disconnected your rope from the boat. The rope that connects you to the boat, what I'm talking about is being connected to God. And some of you, you think, well, you know, maybe I'll go to church uh, just a, several times a year. I could go on Christmas. I could go on Easter. I could go if someone dies. I could go if someone gets married. I could go if I do something really, really bad. So you go to church a handful of times a year, and you've disconnected your rope from the boat. You've disconnected from where the life source is from God. Maybe you've disconnected in prayer. Maybe you used to have a prayer life, but you think, you know what? I don't know if this prayer thing really works, and so you've given up on prayer. Maybe you've given up on reading the Bible, and you've just disconnected your rope from God. You've disconnected, and you're just drifting away. And when we separate ourselves from God, whether we're just drifting or whether we intentionally are saying no, there may just be a storm coming. 
There might be a short Sharknado on the way. Bad storm, man, with sharks flying. It's not what you want to be in, I promise you. And that's exactly what happens to Jonah in verse 4. In verse 4, it says this, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose around the ship that it threatened to just break it apart. Now, this is no small boat. These guys are experienced sailors. They've got cargo on it, and they are freaking out. And in verse 5, it says, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried, out to its own God. So now these guys are praying to the little G God. These guys are praying and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, he's not praying. He goes below the deck and he lays down and falls into a deep sleep. So the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Jonah, how come you're not praying? Why don't you get up and pray and trust God like the rest of us? Maybe he'll take notice of us and we won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and let's figure out who's responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and it fell on Jonah and they asked him tell us who is responsible for all of this trouble on us what kind of work is it that you do I've been asked that question you're hanging out with people and they're like so what do you do for a living and when you tell them they're a pastor they always freak out they always go, oh, oh, pastor's here. I better, you know, button up my shirt a little tighter and get a little straight here. And Jonah, he's the guy that's supposed to be trusting God and praying in the storm. And he's busted by a bunch of heathens that have more faith than he does. He's down in the boat. So this story takes kind of some weird twists and turns because we tend to think of the world in fairly dualistic terms. We think of the world as the, uh, the good guys versus the bad guys. Good versus evil. Righteousness versus evil. We think of the world in these terms, and what we see in a lot of these stories that we've been in over the past several weeks, and we see here today with Jonah, is that all of these categories kind of just get thrown up in the air, and they get all jumbled around, and the good guy doesn't do what we necessarily expect him to do. You might have heard of the term the anti-hero. If you're familiar <clears throat> with the anti-hero, it's real popular today in movies and TV. TV shows, if you've seen things like Breaking Bad, shows like this where the good guy doesn't hold any of the characteristics you would expect for him to have. He's got all the wrong characteristics of the hero. And a lot of these stories are kind of built around the idea of the anti-hero. It's the hero of the story, the central character, and they don't have any of the characteristics you would expect the hero to have. And that's Jonah. Instead of praying, he's in the basement of the boat just sleeping. And so we pick up the story in verse 9. It says, he answered, I'm the Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do, uh, or what, what should we do to make the sea grow calm? And uh, I know, or to grow, where am I at? <laughs> what should we do to make the sea calm, sea calm down for us? And he says, just pick me up and throw me into the sea. I think Jonah should have responded with prayer. Instead, he says, man, just throw me overboard. I'm done with this. Throw me overboard. <laughs> he said, it's my fault that this has happened to you guys. Uh, in the storm, uh, so instead of throwing them over sea, the men did their best to row back to land. So instead of throwing them in, the, the pagan heathens show patience 
towards Jonah. And they cried out to the Lord, the capital L Lord. Now these guys are the ones that are actually praying. It's the heathens, the bad guys in the story, start praying. And they cried out to the Lord. They said, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing this innocent man. They call him an innocent man, even though he's the one that was responsible. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard into the raging sea and it grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish named Megalodon to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what? My life feels a lot like Jonah. God's asked me to do some things. I've not done them and I'm in the middle of the storm. I feel like things have gotten worse. I feel like I've been thrown overboard and I've been caught up in an F5 Sharknado like no one's ever seen. Maybe that's you. You feel like your life is in the storm. And you'd say, you know what? My finances, they're a total wreck, and I don't know if there's any hope. God might be saying, do I have your attention now? Maybe your relationships are just shredded apart, and they're not making any sense, and it seems like it's beyond repair. God might be saying, do I have your attention now? Maybe your health has taken a turn for the worse. God can use the storms that come into our life to get our attention. I'm not saying that God causes all the storms in our life, but what God will do is he will use the storm to get your attention. And in chapter two, God's finally got Jonah's attention in the belly of the fish, and he finally prays. So chapter 2, verse 1, it says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depth of the realm of the dead, the King James Version calls it hell. He says, I cried out for help, and God, you listened to my cry. So in the middle of running from God, in the middle of being in the storm, after being thrown overboard and swallowed by a giant fish, Jonah responds with, in the middle of my distress, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. Let me tell you this morning, if you would say, I'm in the middle of the storm, it is okay to pray. In fact, I think it's what we're supposed to do. I think we're supposed to pray. Let me encourage you to pray. Even if you would say, man, this storm, I know it's my fault. I know I've done some things that have created this storm in my life. Let me encourage you to pray, and God will hear your cry. And Jonah answers, God's, or answers Jonah's prayer in verse 10, and it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And then in chapter 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God was patient with Jonah, even though Jonah didn't do a lot of the right things. And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. So Jonah starts going through a day's journey at a time, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And check this out. Verse five, the first sentence, you can underline it. It says, the Ninevites believed God, not what you would expect. Think about the movies with the really, really, really bad guys. These guys start repenting and listening to what Jonah has to say. None of the characters do what you would expect them to do. If you were hearing the story, you would expect, man, they killed Jonah. 
They tortured Jonah. No, they start repenting. And it says a fast was proclaimed for all of them, from the greatest to the least, to put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king in Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let the people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Sackcloth was what was worn in the ancient world as a sign of repentance, a deep awareness of your sin and surrender to God. It was a crying out to God. So what's going on here is the Assyrians, the enemies of the Israelites, are repenting and turning to God. And then we get this strange detail that even their pets are told they need to repent. Now, I've got a pet. I just got a puppy. Five-month-old puppy now named Fletcher. He's a little black English Cocker Spaniel. And let me tell you, he needs to repent. (laughs) It's an evil dog, man. If you've ever had a puppy, you know that they're full of sin and they need to repent. So if anyone's got any sackcloth for sale, I'll buy it and I'll make Fletcher wear it so he can get right with God. And then all dogs can go to heaven. Cats don't go to heaven. That's a true story. So Fletcher needs to repent. So he's telling, he's got this weird detail. When the Bible has these weird details, they're usually in there for a reason. It's usually pointing to the fact that there's a bigger point to the story. Again, we see the world in these dualistic terms. The, the, the bad guys, or the good guys and the bad guys. Righteousness and evil. And in this story, the categories are all jumbled around. And the good guy, the one that God is using, he is resistant to God. He's given up on prayer. He's lazy in the bottom of the boat. He's a bigot. He doesn't even want to go talk to these bad, evil Ninevites. He has want, not, wants nothing to do with them. He's not doing anything you would expect. And the bad guys, the evil ones, they are surprisingly open to God. And they're very repentant to the point where they're having their pets start to repent. The story is just throwing all the categories and just jumbling them all up. And then Jonah, after listening to what God wanted him to do, now he gets mad at God. So the good guy gets mad at God. Check this out. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, but Jonah, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord. He's praying, and he says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to force stall fleeing to Tarshish. By fleeing to Tarshish, I knew God that you were gracious and compassionate, that you're slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And he's so ticked off at God for his compassion and his love that he says, now Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord said, is it right, Jonah, for you to be so angry? So now Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. He was probably hoping that God was just going to just destroy the entire city. So he's sitting there watching, hoping that they're going to be smited. And then the Lord provided a leafy plant. The King James Version calls it a gourd. God makes a giant gourd grow over the head of Jonah to give him some shade so he could ease his discomfort. 
and Jonah was very happy about this gourd. But the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind that gave Jonah a really bad sunburn on his face, so he grew faint. And he wanted to die, and he says again, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry about this gourd, Jonah? It is, he replied. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. What a crazy story. Now Jonah's so mad at the gourd he wants to die. So the good guys do a bunch of the wrong things. They run from God, and God is patient and continues to use them. Maybe you love God, and you've done some of the wrong things. It's never too late for God to continue to use you. God wants to use his people. God is compassionate, he's patient, he's overflowing with love. And a few final thoughts. A big part of this story is about forgiveness. God asks Jonah. Jonah really represents the nation of Israel. He represents a whole people group. And God is saying, Israel, can you love your enemies? Today, it represents Christians. It represents the church. And the same question gets asked of us. Can you love those that seem like they might be unlovable? Can you, see, can you love those that don't have it all put together? Can you love those who have wronged you? Can you walk in forgiveness? And the story of Jonah doesn't end with all kinds of thoughts about Jonah and <clears throat> what he did and was it right or was it wrong. Instead, it ends with a question from God. And in chapter 4, verse 10, the Lord said, You have been concerned about this gourd, though, Jonah, you didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have great compassion for the city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right? God is saying, I've got compassion. I've got love from people that are totally messed up. People that are totally evil. I have love for my creation. I have love for those that can't tell their left from their right. And Jonah, will you be a light unto the world? It's a calling we've been called to as the church to be a light unto the world. It rings really true of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let me encourage you as we finish our time together here this morning. Let God talk to you. Where is it that you need to repent in life? What is God asking you to do? And where have you said no? Where are you drifting from God? Where have you disconnected the rope from the boat and you're just floating away from God? What is God asking you to do? Where is God calling you to be a light into the world? Maybe you're here today and you've never repented and given your life to God. God is calling out to you. Where do you fit in the story of Jonah here this morning? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for everyone that's listening here today, God. And I pray that as we talked about today in the story of Jonah, Lord, that there would be people here today, God, where you're asking them to do something and maybe they're saying no. God, I pray that even if we find ourselves in the storm, God, that you can use it as provision. As the Bible said, God, you provided a fish, God. Sometimes you provide a way out for us in the middle of the storm. You're looking to grab our attention. So God, I pray that we would respond to 
you in the storm and that we wouldn't let it go any longer, God, but that we would turn our lives towards you, Lord. And I pray that we would be a light unto the world, God. You've called us to love those that can't tell their left from their right, people that have it all wrong, God. Help us love the way you've called us to love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, guys.